0: And so in our, in our book for the section for the clients, there's a chapter on, on defining what you want. And in that chapter, there's a, a short exercise that asks people to, at the end of all their brainstorming and collection, that at some point they distill what they want into a decision compass. And this applies to timber framing, to roofing, to everything and, and I did this decision compass is basically what they want boiled down to three to seven words.
1: Homestyle Green, episode 176,
2: Arrow Timber Framing, The Enemies of Ugly. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live i'm the host of the show matthew cutler welsh and this week i've got for you an interview i had recently with bert sakinen i jumped on the skype call with bert and his uh, one of his business partners his marketing guy uh, lucas holgram and uh, bert's the founder of a company called arrow timber framing who specialize in something called hybrid timber framing and there's quite a lot in this episode and it's a little bit different from focusing on passive house or high performance but I actually think there's some really good parallels in what uh, Bert has grown in this in this company and his philosophy for business. So I hope you enjoy the show uh, and stick around. I've got some, uh, some takeaways for the end. So I started out by asking Bert to define what exactly is hybrid timber framing.
0: There's conventional framing and then hybrid timber framing. And so if we start with what's become kind of the norm for full timber framing, it's a little bit of a misnomer because even a thousand years ago, timber framing was the predominant building method. And, and even then the whole system was hybrid. It had different elements, whether it was infill or, straw roof or whatever it had it was it was still a hybrid system Mm -hmm. and so so that definition is a little bit of a moving target as it is today when when people talk about full timber frame they're typically referring to a timber shell that stands on its own complete without conventional walls needed to support anything right and then the the shell is attached to the timbers.
3: Yeah.
0: And that has two big negatives. The first being that it can be cost prohibitive mm. to achieve the beauty people want mm. because they may have to put timbers in the laundry rooms and bedrooms they don't really aren't going to spend a lot of time with yeah, time in. Yeah. And and. The other is it can be somewhat restrictive for styles, for achieving that 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 environment that enriches their life and is not dull and vanilla, like you spoke of. in mm. and, and the way that that happens is if you've ever been to a log cabin, whether it's been big or small, when you leave, your basic impression is a log cabin is a log cabin is a log cabin. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: And so that's really high on a rustic scale.
3: Yeah.
0: And what a lot of our clients have found by the time they talk to us, they start off thinking they want a log cabin. Right. And as they look into it more and more, they realize that maybe that filet mignon day after day might they might get tired of it. It may be too much.
3: Yeah.
0: And so and so that's really Probably the two biggest disadvantages to, to full timber frame, and so hybrid timber frame is taking that concept of the heavy post and beam construction mm-hmm. and using it in select areas. Yeah. So so the investment is is focused, as well as style flexibility with roof lines with whether it's modern or whatever it may be.
1: And generally the. You're not using round logs, are you? You're using um, uh, sawn and shaped big beams uh, and, and, and having them exposed so that they're part of the aesthetic.
0: Correct. Now, we we do use round logs <clears throat> where it fits the, the style that the clients are trying to capture. Yeah, yeah. And... There's really where we draw the line and what we don't go into is stacking logs as in a log cabin.
1: Yeah, I'm, I've stayed in a log cabin on a ski field, which mm-hmm. looked amazing.
0: Yeah, and they it was,
1: are. It's freezing cold because there's lots of air gaps in a, in a log cabin because <laughs> walls aren't, aren't straight. And all the air comes in between the logs. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very romantic, but they're not very practical.
0: Yeah, as far as uh, efficient use of wood, as well as insulation and maintenance, and there, and then, then, you've got uh, shrinkage issues. Sometimes yeah. you have need screw jacks for the winter and winter and summer variations in humidity.
1: Right, so it expands and contracts during the year.
0: Yep, and uh, lots of we've had a lot of calls with you know rot on log cabins.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: and that's a big payment to fix that, and so that's yeah. that's kind of unfortunate because even the flashing around windows, they they can do it right. It's just not as easy with log cabins, mm. Mm. and so that really works backwards as far as economic and ecologic.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, but I really like. The amount of resources you have a huge amount of information on your website where people can go and, and have a look through um, all the different truss types. It's quite an education. I mean, a lot of architects would probably learn um, from going through there. You've done a great job of cataloguing different trusses and, and the shapes of them, uh, and then some stunning imagery of how those exposed trusses can be utilized on, on all styles of. Of buildings. I think it's really interesting, particularly the modern ones where you've got what would otherwise be just another generic contemporary house with a bit of timber on the outside can have an amazing uh, difference to increasing its beauty.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Matthew. And um, this is Lucas, uh, and I do uh, a lot of work on the website. And Bert has provided a lot of information uh, for builders, architects, and uh, and and homeowners alike, mm. and that's available there at www.arrotimber.com, and uh, it's it's really meant to just be a resource for people who are either in the brainstorming stage or working with an architect. Oh, let's uh, step back a little bit
1: and uh, tell us a little bit about your your story, Bert, because it's. Um it's a it's a nice one. How you, you say that you you fell in love with uh, hybrid timber framing? How mm-hmm. exactly did that come about?
0: Okay, so uh, so I started at about age sixteen, working for my father.
1: He was a, he was a builder, right?
0: Yeah, builder did some general contracting, predominantly focused on framing, traditional yep. framing. And and that was something that I just loved at school. Figured there's a lot to learn: the angles, the math. Uh, and I kept gravitating towards more and more complex roof lines because I loved the learning. I love and, the fact
1: that you you left school pretty young, sixteen, but was, well, was but was, was attracted to maths and learning.
0: Yeah, it was. It was just. Uh, the whole in the physical activity, you know that that you just feel good at the end of the day. You see stuff done. Yeah. Um, and so I worked from 16 to 18 when I was going through school, and then started started full time after school. Right. As a, as an apprentice carpenter. Still working and for your dad. Still working for my father, and and then uh, I had the option after school. My father approached me. He said, "Son, I said I can give you a pretty healthy bump in wage if you'd like. If you're coming on full time, you're going to really be a you're going to contribute a lot more as a full time employee." Mm-hmm. He said, "Or you can stick to the same wage, and I can teach you more, faster." And the you know, the trade off being that my mistakes, I'm working for less money. Therefore, he can afford to let me make more mistakes. And for me, the decision was a no brainer. So I entered a pretty tough school, and, and it was kind of more than I expected. Uh-huh. And, and it came pretty close to where I threw in the towel a couple times, <laughs> uh, I, especially when uh, I was right in the thick of things. And, and here's what the situation was. Is I, he said, that I said, okay, well, we might as well start now. And he said, uh, you know, the next day, he said, tell me what to do. And so, it really, threw me to the wolves, and and so I was making decisions and and telling my boss which wall to build and 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 doing all the layout and. Your boss is also me... your father. Yes, yes, and so he let me make all these mistakes. It was, and I, I remember one particular time I I figured out a, a material list of what we needed, called the lumberyard, mm-hmm. and even talking to the. The reps down there was somewhat intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Because I was basically still learning a ton, uh-huh. and one particularly embarrassing moment, I had uh, ordered material, and and I knew that if I didn't get enough, I would get chewed out. Yeah, yeah. And so little by little, I got more a bigger and bigger safety net, and one one time the 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 supplier called my father and said, "Hey Joe, are you sure you need 200 studs for that upstairs?" <laughs> <And> <laughs> when the, he just knew they had seen enough stuff, enough orders come through that that was an outlier. Yeah, and and it was way off.
3: Yeah,
0: and so that's just one small example of of the trial by fire that that really taught logistics thinking. Get up after you fail and And it was it, it, by and large, real fond memories, a few stressful times where i mistakes would would kind of compile up and and you'd just have a real bad week, yeah, yeah and, but that was that was my schooling for all the framing
1: that's uh, I mean it sounds like it, your your father was a a very good teacher, but it must have been tough because you at the end of that hard week, it's not like you could go home and complain to anyone because they're your family
0: no he, he he really was a good teacher and and uh, he wouldn't hold back on the chew but then yeah. he wouldn't hold back on the hey here's all the things you're doing right nice and this is part of learning and if you want to avoid mistakes entirely it's probably better if you just stay in bed all day <laughs> so mm-hmm. and was
1: there uh what's the the formal uh route for, training qualification but were you doing that alongside the daily teaching with on on site and, and in work
0: the I guess the traditional the traditional route just means learning really slowly on the job and everything on the job and and over the course of 10 years and what we had done with my father was probably expedited to about two, two and a half years, and so by working for a lower wage, making more mistakes on the job, and, and I was forced to really, I, I worked after work. I was very passionate about it. I would think about how to go about the next day. If there was any tough math to think about, I would do it ahead of time. And uh-huh. I got to the point where I was taking random blueprints just out of a plan book and i would visualize how the trusses would be built so if you can understand the roof your your battle's won yeah right i mean that there's a few things there i mean a a lot of people have this idea
1: of a builder to put it blunt being not very smart uh, and they're they're turning up on the site they're they're swinging hammers around all day doing work and knocking off around four o'clock and then and then that's it but most people wouldn't know that a lot of builders do their, their work doesn't finish at four o'clock and they go there's a lot of preparation and thinking and like you say math and, and doing <laughs> doing some pretty um applied but but tricky calculations and modeling and thinking and planning about how they're actually going to do what they have to do the next the coming days
0: yeah and and it was more so for me as i was learning i had to really put a lot of effort into that yeah the combination of the of the thinking and and learning after hours with the hands-on i mean i was allowed to make the mistakes Yeah, yeah yeah that that really that's why that learning curve was shortened so much so the, at this stage, are you are building mostly
1: domestic residential houses? you Are doing any commercial building as well?
0: There was a few projects that with some commercial applications. By and large, it was residential housing.
1: And high-end?
0: Higher-end, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. So bespoke design. You're working closely with architects?
0: In a sense. At that stage, the only time we would suggest things, and this is – the thinking style that that uh, I was taught under my apprenticeship was if I built something exactly per plan and it was a mistake, I was not allowed to say, but the plan said, but right. I followed the plan. Right. My father said, hey, look, the plans aren't going to be perfect. You have to understand the intent. What are they trying to accomplish? If they're going to hang clothes in a closet and they've got it drawn too narrow and you build it too narrow, just like it says, yeah, I'm going to come back and chew you out. That's not good.
3: Right,
1: right.
0: And so in, in the design sense, the only part that, that we really got involved with was if some dormers were spaced too tightly. And we would question the builder that, you know, these look a little bit clumsy. Do you want to spread these out or mm, mm. the overhangs are too big? If it, uh, if it looks like it's getting ready to fly away because the flap its wings and fly away because the overhangs are so huge for yeah. a tall, small dormer. Yeah. 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 Th- those are the sort of things that, that I was trained to, to think about and, and be responsible.
3: Yeah.
0: And, and so now way it, kind of morphed into just seeing all these designs and what looks good, what doesn't look good, and, and just the early stages of that.
1: And clearly you had an interest in trusses and the geometry and the, the mathematics of that. Mm-hmm. What else was it that drew you towards a hybrid framing and, and these expo- these big exposed timber beams?
0: I. Uh... You know, it was it was well I'm motivated by a challenge mm-hmm. always. So that was and the idea of using the Morris and tenon, kind of the old school, the whole the accuracy and the math skills that would be required for that, and a whole another way of thinking about joining beams and then the fact that it would be seen. It yep. would be you could you could have something built that was that there was finished work on a big scale mm. and not covered up and so that was really attractive just the whole, and I've always liked even before that the idea of building a a hand cut roof without any manufactured trusses yeah. and having all of that done open before sheathing before the plywood on the roof it to me, it was a thing of beauty. So just the skeleton and even the timber frames we produce, when the timber frames up before the walls and roof go on, and you've got the silhouette against the sunset or whatever it is, that's got geometric beauty. Yeah,
1: your your, your framing is built for Instagram and uh, modern social media because it's a uh, it, yeah <laughs> things of beauty. Yeah. But you're right though, so much of the, the work and the craftsmanship well it used to be craftsmanship, but, but that goes into that framing is is not craftsmanship nowadays because it just gets covered up and it it, mm-hmm. it it's just hidden and invisible. Uh whereas your style, you you've you're building something which is like you say, the skeleton, it's the structure of the building, but it's gonna be on display as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Before we go on, I'd just like to say a quick thanks to ProClimber who helped make this show possible. ProClimber's air-tightness and weather-tightness building systems, in combination with effective insulation and appropriate ventilation, create energy-efficient, low-allergen emitting, comfortable, healthy buildings. ProClimber's painted systems also ensure the long-term effectiveness of insulation and the structural durability of the building by protecting it from moisture damage. Thereby making sure your healthy, energy-efficient, and eco-friendly
2: environment remains that way for years to come. Check them out at proclima.com.au or proclima.co.nz. Proclima, and the
1: insulation is perfect. So, to, let's talk about the the crossover between tradition and modern technology because most of our trusses in our market are built in a factory and mm-hmm. they're designed by a computer program and they're nailed together probably if not by a robot then just with nail plates and a, and a nail gun or with someone pretty much on a, on a production line who probably never sees that building. They just put them on the, on a, on the truck and they off they go and then they get delivered to site. So that process is built around speed and efficiency, and we're under pressure right now to deliver lots of houses quite quickly because we have a housing shortage and housing affordability is a a big issue. Mm -hmm. How does what you do tie into all of that, that crossover between tradition and modern technology?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Matthew. And I guess I would like to start off by saying that that, even if somebody may feel like a cog in a big factory producing trusses that aren't seen or or doing conventional framing, there's still a craft, mm-hmm. even if it's not seen, and that to produce something for a low cost. And so, there's two different approaches. One of the big things that, that may, with the hybrid timber framing and the beams that are exposed and and even the first section of the new book we've written about how the owners can find out just what it is they want and why they're doing it and get their get really dialed in for that, that speaks to a bigger investment up front, but less likely to be thrown into the garbage can or or constructed in a way that is poorly flashed without the right roofs roofs to to make it really sustainable yeah that may be the biggest differentiator as far as the the housing crunch and short-term economics what we do is not a solution to that.
3: Right.
1: right. You're thinking long term, you're more about people understanding the the why why am I building a house, what do I want that to provide for me and my family and and
0: that it's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, and what 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 do I want to pass down to my to some of my children who would hopefully live in the same place? table thing. yep
1: yeah so in that process i mentioned before architects do people come to you now first or do they find you through a designer and come with a, a plan so here's a plan that architects drawn up can you build this for me or do they come to you now and say oh can you design me a, a house
0: it really, they come through three three sources, three roads. The first two, the where they come to us first and where they come through an architect. And often they will come to us through the builder, too. And nice. in, in the latter two, the plans are done. And so we have to put on our magician's hat to some degree and really work with the timber design and what can we change about roof lines in space to Make the timbers be the best they can, to to create what we've kind of referred to as a heirloom piece, and and something that will be passed down, something that's really going to provide some long term value that doesn't have to be get a makeover in any time soon. It's just going to be beautiful for many years. Mm. What's
1: been some of the challenges for you? Because you you. Coming back to your journey, you started your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been some of the challenges that you've overcome from from growing and building that business, and why did you choose that instead of staying in your father's company?
0: Uh, in part, was a challenge, and I guess one one connection that may not be really clear in In the process of when I was an apprentice, carpenter for my father, I did become a general work for a general contractor that did foundations roofing, a lot of other trades mm-hmm. before I started my own framing company and it was i was had my own framing company for about seven years before a client asked me to do some timber framing on a project and i and I told him I said, "Well, what are you referring to and and so he told me a little bit about it. And I said, well, I would uh, look into it and get back with him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that night I went to the library and found some books on it. I, and I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah. this is cool. And I kind of fell in love on the spot. And then, right. you know, just the, the law of attraction, I guess. Uh-huh. And and so. Uh,
1: How big was your company at this stage? Is it, did you have a,
0: <laughs> it was a, a team? It about five guys. Right yeah we were just a, a small contractor that, with that, I could take on more complex jobs, yep. and and do them efficiently because I wasn't too big. I, I could handle all the thinking and that was required to, to complete a complex job in an efficient yep. manner.
1: which was and also small enough to pivot pretty easily to to follow that attraction.
0: Yes, and I ended up growing the company to do that. We ended up having a, a framing crew as well as a hybrid timber framing crew. Right. right. So I set up the shop and the framing was still going. And that was for about six years. Six years we were doing both.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And then, uh, then in 2008, the economy hit a downturn yeah. and the conventional framing. And in our area, the, the conventional framers provide labor only. Right. So, the, so the race to the bottom was quite swift, and my choice was really made for me. It just
4: didn't make any sense to continue to
0: fight that battle.
4: And M- Matthew, coming at it uh, from the sales and marketing perspective uh, that I'm in with aero Timber Framing, um, it is kind of interesting that sales pipeline that you that you referred to earlier how coming from three different areas clients, builders and architects there yeah. is a lot of, uh, there's a ton of interaction in between that because um, you know as Bert mentioned there's an existing plan and design mm-hmm. and then our designers go through that and integrate the timber framing with it often there's kind of ideas of where that timber framing will be um placed and then it's kind of drawn up and modeled and from there then there's often um you know conversation back with the architect uh and and engineers and so it's a very collaborative process mm-hmm. in that sense and yeah. then we're working you know directly with builders um during this process so it's not you know it's not completely autonomous you know the the Hybrid timber framing, you know, takes a lot of different pieces to accomplish. So
1: yeah, and it's not a, a linear process. It might be a bit of going back and forth and and changing things around. How how big, You mentioned your own designers. How big is your team now? Where if you uh, can you give us some numbers on on what Arrow looks like today?
0: Yeah, we're about uh, fourteen people now. Fourteen people. We've uh, got. Uh, there's a bigger portion in the front end of things because it just takes a lot of thinking and communication to get what we call ITM in place. And ITM is simply information, tools, and material. Okay. To get that package for the fabrication team takes more than a person might think. You gotta get a lot of answers. There's a lot of logistics and Information that that's got to be communicated, confirmed, and documented before the guys in the shop can make sawdust. This is all the
1: all the the thinking and the homework that you used to do as a sixteen, eighteen-year-old back at. Or the, but now it's just a team that's doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's become more more than one brain can handle this year. Sure.
4: Yeah. And it's 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 an interesting process because you know, uh timber framing from what I've seen, you know, again being in the sales and marketing side, uh the type of customers and clients that we work with are are usually you know, quite involved, have a lot of ideas, yeah. have, have done a lot of research. They're yep. not just someone looking to move into a home. Yeah. You know, um this these are people who have they've, they've done the research, they've looked around and this idea process is absolutely huge because, uh, first of all, it's deciding, do I want timber framing in my house? To what extent, you know, is it just an entryway that I want to add? And then, um, do I want some, you know, for instance, some beams in the great room, um, and, you know, things like that. And then beyond that, they're, you know, they've got to decide what design style, do I want to choose what do I want to work with and so our a, a big mission of Arrow Timber and of of Bert's is educating the the client you know even if they're not working with us we want to be able to provide them the information on how to find what is my preferred design style and so on our website ArrowTimber.com, is there's a lot of information on trust styles on um just the seven what we would call the seven primary timber frame design styles yeah and as as the owner of a home or, or the project or an outbuilding or whatever you're building it's uh you got to define what you want so that you can communicate that properly with the timber framer and the architect and it's a fun process once yeah. you get into
1: you know. it's, it's good that you uh, describe it as fun. Uh, that's a similar trend of being, of client-led projects that we see in in high-performance homes, where clients come, they say they want a passive house or they want um, a, a zero-energy house, and they've done a lot of research before, and they, they tend to be guiding the designer and also the builder. And there's key key messages there is that one. Uh, consumers should get more educated and and there are plenty of ways to do that these days of of looking at information, but it also, um, points to the fact that people like yourselves and designers and builders need to be open to that and know when the client is being a bit unrealistic, but also know when to listen to them. I, I imagine that is that a bit tricky sometimes.
0: Yes, that's great insight, and and the the, the parallels to your passive and zero energy type of of projects, I'm sure is really really close. And and the consumer is, they ultimately are driving the whole market. Mm. And with whatever way the market goes, it's, there's got to be somebody that's consuming it. So. The biggest challenge that, that we've really had with 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 making things work is really comes down to the investment. Sometimes they're there so we'll get some people into what we call a 30 to 90 minute brainstorm, just kind of an initial let's see if we fit type of meeting and, right. and get good, good information exchange. To, to, to test fit. Um, and a lot of times we'll get a target that the, the clients will will state that, okay, here's kind of what they want to invest. And in. yep. so it looks like a good fit. Sometimes what can happen is as they move forward with other parts of building and choices from appliances to flooring to roofing to all of this, Run into trouble for their overall numbers.
1: They want to spend too much on the kitchen.
0: Well, I don't know. It's not my point, <laughs> my place to, to tell them where where to invest their nickels. Yeah. Uh, what happens, and and so so there's a lot of back and forth. And we have the way we work with with our clients is is that we don't. Once we decide that okay, we think we're a good fit if they have to come back to us with a revised plan or anything, they still want the influence of open heavy beam construction to some degree. So, okay, here's, we we talked about 50,000, we talked about a hundred thousand, but now we're we really want to keep it under 70. Yeah. Well, so we can go through and value engineer, change different things. And and sometimes it's just a matter of, say, doing something really simple in the master bedroom rather than the ornate trust right. they had chosen. Right. Uh, and that's probably the biggest, the biggest consumer education piece where they they give us marching orders in one direction, and our intuition might say something else. And so that's how to confront that and how to educate that and 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 steer that. I don't have an answer for the best way to handle it, but we do try to communicate and and keep people their eyes wide open that we may this plan A may work. we may have to go to plan b. I,
1: i've I've, had, I've spoken to other building companies um, over the years, and it seems that the the good ones know that their role is a counselor as much as it is a uh, an advisor and a technical um, role because, the houses and home become homes and they're very mm-hmm. emotional. They're, mm-hmm. They they depart from logic occasionally, and you, you're often dealing with not just one, but two or more decision makers. It can be a, a very complex interaction
0: and oh, it's, quite and then, a highly charged. And what happens too is while you're in the movement, moment for owners, especially, and even architects and builders can. Get on the passion bandwagon and, yeah. and and bring some bright shiny objects to the table that are <laughs> yeah. just cool, right? Yeah. And so in our in our book for the section for the clients, there's a chapter on on defining what you want. And in that chapter, there's a, a short exercise that asks people to, at the end of all their brainstorming and collection, that at some point they distill what they want into a decision compass
3: right
0: and this applies to timber framing to roofing to everything yeah yeah and and i did this decision compass is basically what they want boiled down to three to seven words
3: nice
0: and and so when they get into these situations things started wonder where to go they can keep coming back to this it's, does this move us in this direction this three to seven words and and even when they communicate with professionals they're hiring, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And then here's this high overview, this three to seven words, this decision compass that that can really, really eliminate a lot of stress and a lot of a lot of, a lot of energy chasing bright, shiny objects. And in, in the worst case, bright, shiny objects that turn out to be not what they want, very problematic. And, and and costly, and so so many different things that that uh, we've decided, defined that as another form of ugly. Yeah, In fact, our yeah. one of our, yeah. our internal internal slogans is, is that' we're the we're the enemies of ugly. Yeah, yeah when well, there is a lot of, um,
1: if not the word, then the images are beautiful. There's a, there's a lot mm-hmm. of relation to, to beauty and aesthetic. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in everything that you do. Hey, we should uh, wrap up. You guys, I've taken up uh, a bit of your time. Really appreciate it. Um, is your is the book out now? Can people get a, get a hold of it?
0: No, we are offering a sneak preview for a chapter,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it really speaks to the economics and the ecologic side of things and the yeah. ergonomics, and it's avoiding the hail mary approach. Yep. And and so this this really, if 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 people understand this and and it prompts them to dig a little deeper into what they want, define why they're doing things, it really will help the green movement that you've you're pushing on. It really will create sustainable projects that provide enjoyment and beauty for a long time. Yeah, Very sus-
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. No, it's a great, be, It's a great resource. Now, to- and
1: I, yeah. I, I'll I'll put some links up. But I recommend people go along and uh, because just just browsing through your sites and education, uh, but it's also an inspiration in with the imagery that you've got there. And people, there's a lot of information about. Um, takes me back to my engineering days actually, looking at all the different uh, different okay. trusses and the uh, the the simple diagrams. You've distilled what can be quite complicated down into some quite uh, simple concepts here. So it's it's really uh, really great. Hey, thank you very much, uh, mm-hmm. guys. I uh, really appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to coming out and visiting you out uh, in Portland sometime, maybe checking out some of your great work.
0: Perfect, yeah. And, and thanks to your viewers too for their their commitment to being more than a flash in the pan. Excellent. All right.
1: Hey, thank you very much, uh, Luke. Bert, really appreciate it. Okay. Thank, thank you, Matthew. Nice
0: to Bye-bye.
2: And that was Bert Sarkin. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, like always, really love to get your feedback. You can flick me an email if you like, matthew at homestylegreen.com, or you can uh, comment on Facebook page, um, usually on Twitter as well, or you can leave a comment in the show notes, which will go up at homestylegreen.com forward slash 176 for this episode. Hey, a couple of things I took out of that, uh, like I said at the start, it's a little bit different from my normal focus just purely on passive house or high performance. But firstly, uh, Bert's journey in learning and mastering a craft. Obviously, he had a good teacher. He was allowed and, in fact, encouraged to make mistakes. And it really highlighted his conversation, just how how intelligent builders are and how passionate they are and all the work that you don't see them do the planning and the the calculations the visualizing and not to mention the counseling of clients and they um yeah I've got a lot of respect for builders and they often I don't think get credit for all that extra work that you just don't don't see uh second takeaway from me was The lessons that Bert hinted at in building and growing a profitable, good business. He's got 14, 15 people now in the company. I kind of get the sense that they could be bigger if they wanted to, but um, it's, uh, you know, they, they know what they're good at and they stick to that and they do it very, very well. But, you know, a business of 14, 15 people. Particularly here in New Zealand, that's a, that's a sizable uh, company and uh, a good, steady uh, work for you know a, a large group of people is something to uh, to be proud of. And finally, the beauty of timber, as Bert said, he's the enemy of ugly, and I really like that. Uh, but I like it. Not just as a as a slogan, but it's something that they are obviously quite passionate about. You can see that very clearly from looking at their website. I really encourage you to head over to ArrowTimber.com because there is a huge amount of information there and some stunning photos. Um, but there's a lot of uh, work that they've done on um, their portfolio, but also videos and, of course. Bert's got his book coming out as well. So some big lessons there in how you can potentially grow your architectural business or your building business, or if you're a client, how to find a, biz, a builder that appeals to you. love to know your thoughts from that episode. Sorry, it's a bit long. We're going to try and get these episodes down a bit shorter, but I just enjoy talking to these guys sometime. And I, I feel like if I get uh, someone international on the Skype call, then uh I just want to hear what they have to say. That's it for me for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'd really love it if you could head on over to uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to this and give us a rating and uh, let others know about the show as well. All right. Now go make a better place to live.